climate change is an existential threat. And I think we're all in a position, uh, if, if we're asked to help out, uh, we help out. And... Snowstorms in Texas, floods in Fort McMurray, wildfires in BC, California, and Australia, increasing and ever more powerful hurricanes. The more carbon we emit around the world, the warmer the Earth gets. And it's clear climate change is changing Mother Earth. Please make no mistake. Climate change is the biggest threat to security that modern humans have ever faced. Internationally renowned and much-loved scientist Catherine Hayhoe is here. We can't afford to let down our guard. Climate change matters today more than ever. Plus, context correspondent Sheridan Sanders talks with us from Rome, where the lockdowns and fewer tourists have given the canals of Venice back their beauty. Author and journalist Marnie Blom talks about Israel's technologies in helping global climate change. And back in Canada, where many environmentalists, even famous Hollywood movie stars like Jane Fonda, are up in arms about oil pipelines, Indigenous leader Karen Ogden Taves is here to talk about why some of Canada's First Nations people are pro-pipelines and a sit-down with Arasha CEO Luke Wilson. Today on Context, COVID-19 and caring for God's creation, two urgent issues facing the world and that require responses from all of us. Here's Maggie John with scientist Catherine Hayhoe. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, many, you know, we're seeing so many people uh, dying of COVID, um, millions of people dying around the world. Why is it still so vital and so important that we stay focused on the planet, on the climate? Digging up and burning coal and gas and oil has presented us with all kinds of benefits that have improved our life enormously. But we know today that air pollution from burning fossil fuels is responsible for 8 million deaths per year. And just for perspective, we have already seen two and a half million lives lost due to COVID. Every life lost prematurely is one too many, but we are losing 8 million every year due to air pollution from burning fossil fuels. And that's not even talking about the impacts of climate change. The best cartoon that I have seen or the most appropriate cartoon is one of a tsunami of COVID with a tsunami of an economic recession behind it with a giant massive tsunami of climate change behind that. We can't afford to let down our guard. Climate change matters today more than ever. Wow, I love that perspective. Thank you for that. Now, we continue to see so many examples of extreme weather as well from severe snowstorms. You know that specifically because you live in, in Texas where we saw the recent snowstorm. Some will say that this is a fluke. The rest of the world will see it as climate change. How do you convince people to really see this as a problem, to see climate change as a, pro as a problem? One of the biggest ways climate change is affecting us where we live is by loading the weather dice against us. We always have a chance of rolling a double six, a crazy heat wave, a flood, even a hurricane reaching all the way up to the Maritimes. That happens naturally. But as the planet warms decade by decade, it's like it's sneaking in and taking one of those numbers and then another and another and turning them into sixes and even giving us a seven on our dice. So all of a sudden we're seeing wildfire seasons like California experience with apocalyptic orange skies. We're seeing hurricanes in Texas dropping 50 inches of rain in some places and three 500 year flood events occurring in the same in, in three years. 
We're seeing record-breaking heat waves. We are seeing hurricanes reaching farther north at much greater intensity and much greater strength than they would otherwise. We are seeing global weirding. And that is where climate change is coming in, loading those weather dice against us. We hear now that there was a slight dip in carbon emissions last year during the global lockdown that we all, all experienced. Have we seen the earth kind of replenishing in some places, but not in others? We have seen that our carbon emissions last year dropped significantly. In the month of April, they dropped 17%. And over the whole year, they dropped 7%. And this is encouraging because it shows that if we take action, we can truly make a difference. In fact, if, if that 17% that we saw in April was maintained, we'd be more than a third of the way to our Paris targets by 2030 in just a few weeks. So why aren't we? It's because they weren't achieved in sustainable ways. Shutting down industry, keeping kids out of school, people losing their jobs, shutting down the economy, that's not a sustainable solution. What is? Being more efficient with the way we use our energy and our food. We waste more than half of the energy and more than half the food that we produce. We just waste it. This is true in Canada as well as in the US. We also have to transition to clean energy sources that don't produce the air pollution responsible for 8 million deaths around the planet every year. And we have to figure out how to maintain and preserve and conserve our forests, our natural lands that take up carbon, how to engage in smart agriculture that puts carbon back in the soil where we want it instead of the atmosphere where we don't. All of these things truly can make a difference and they can help here and now as well as in the future. And as you talk about that, Catherine, it's so polarizing. As you know, here in Canada uh, and the US, there are strong feelings when it comes to carbon taxes and pipelines on one hand and climate care on the other. How do we rally Canadians around caring for our environment without it becoming so polarizing when many are concerned about their jobs and their livelihoods? The reality is, is that climate is changing and it affects every single one of us, no matter where we live, in ways that already matter to us. You might love snowmobiling or ice fishing. You might be a birder or a hiker. You might be a new mom or a parent. You might be somebody who um, belongs to a certain faith tradition. Whoever you are, you already have all the values you need to care about climate change. So where does the debate come in? The debate comes in in terms of the solutions. People are scared because solutions involve change. But we have to change because otherwise we are going to have a price tag that we cannot afford to pay. And so that is why, for example, the concept of a just transition is so important. And there's many organizations as well as the federal government that are investing in this, like Iron Plus Earth is one of those organizations that is a grassroots organization that trains oil and gas workers to have the skills that they need to get jobs in the new clean energy industry. With people like Warren Buffett building brand new giant wind farms in Alberta, we see that the future is starting to arrive, but we need to transition towards that in a mindful way that does not leave people behind and that does not point fingers of judgment either. We all want a better future. We all want an electricity when we turn the lights on. We all want water to come out when we turn the tap on. And so working together, I truly believe that we are going to be able to fix these problems. But it begins by building bridges rather than digging trenches. On that note, and my last question, climate action is high on our current government's platform here in Canada. Can Canada's contribution really make a difference when we see other countries really putting it on the back burner? As a Canadian, one of the questions I often hear is, we're just such a small country population-wise, why do we matter? Well, it turns out in terms of cumulative carbon emissions, we're on the top 10 list. Yes, we are. Of course, the US is there and China is there, but we are on that top 10 list too. We can make a difference. And here's the interesting thing. 
when I go and or when I talk to people in Norway, they say, oh, we're such a small country. Why do we matter? I talk to people in Ireland. They say, we're such a small country. Why do I matter? I talk to people in the US. They say, oh, we're such a small country compared to China. Why do we matter? And then you talk to people in China and they say, oh, per person, we produce almost nothing compared to you people in Canada and the US. Why do we matter? The reality is we all matter. Every little bit counts and we can all do something to make a difference. And that change begins at home. It begins with us and it begins with something as simple as having a conversation today about why climate change matters, how it's affecting us right here where we live and what are some sensible things that every single one of us can do to help not only support provincial and federal action, but to make changes in our lives, our businesses, our schools, our place of worship, our communities as well. Because we all live here together. And like I said, we all want a better future. Oh, I love it, Catherine. You put things in such great perspective and make me feel like I can do something. I can change. I can change the world. Thank you so much, Catherine Hayhoe, for your time today. Thank you. Many Canadians remember the protests surrounding the Coastal GasLink Pipelines project in 2020, which sparked blockades across the country as Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs protested the project. My guest today, was an elected chief of the Wet'suwet'en First Nation for six years. She currently is an elected council member for that nation. Karen Ogan-Taves is now the CEO of the First Nations LNG Alliance, a society of First Nations in support of responsible liquefied natural gas development in BC. Thanks so much for joining us today, Karen. Thank you for having me. First Nations LNG Alliance prides itself on being in support of LNG development with a priority on the environment. Is that achievable? The whole notion of why the First Nations LNG Alliance has started was because at the time uh, during my term, people would hear the word pipeline and they'd automatically think of in the 90s when there was commercials on TV, they'd see the devastation of oil spills, what it was doing to the environment. And so people sort of, when they heard the word pipeline, it, 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 it automatically shifted to oil. So we had to really find educational information in relation to LNG, right? From uh, where it was being extracted to where it will be sent to. The uh, $6.6 billion pipeline is designed to carry natural gas from northeastern BC to a $40 billion LNG terminal on the province's north coast uh, to export into Asia. You see this as an opportunity for your people as opposed to a liability. Explain that for me. Most people don't realize that pipelines have been around for centuries and that there are LNG lines in the ground where Aboriginal people have had absolutely no consultation, no accommodation. So no benefits have come back to the Indigenous people. So you have on one hand industry and government extracting resources, whether it be uh, forestry, mining, LNG, whatever. There should be no reason why Indigenous people live in poverty. We need to balance the scale So, for fairness. If this is our unceded territories, then we should be able to benefit and our people shouldn't have to live in poverty and have poor housing, poor education, poor health. And Karen, what about the concerns of the hereditary chiefs? Uh, lack of land title, lack of consultation, safety of the communities. And according to them, that there is some land that sh just should not be touched. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things that you can take from that. We have one LNG line that's already going throughout the territory. 
that was put in the 1950s. You know, all the towns and cities across the northern BC have have LNG lines going through them. That's how they heat their homes. So when you think about it, there's pipelines throughout this territory that that most nations don't even know about. My perspective is I support that whole notion of the UN declaration. I support rights and title because that's the way forward for our people. If we have a solid governing system as a nation and the elected and the hereditary work together, we would be such a powerhouse. I acknowledge that the blockades have put the Wet'suwet'en people on the map. And I really believe that if, if our system, our traditional system and our elected system were to ever come together and work together as one so that our people and land could be taken care of, that would be such a powerhouse. And that's what I would like to see. That's what I envision for our people is that we work together so that our people have a better quality of life. Karen Ogin-Taves, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Ma è sicuramente più limpido, basta vedere il canale con l'acqua super calma, non ci sono le navi, traffico zero, certo che è più pulita. To Rome now and conversation with our context correspondent Sheridan Sanders. Just a few weeks into the first global lockdown last year, the world saw the effects of fewer carbon emissions. One notable event in Europe were the crystal clear waters in the canals of Venice as a result of fewer tourists. Sheridan, thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure, always a pleasure. So you've been in lockdown in Rome for a year now. as. We um, have, have here in Canada. Tell us about the changes in the environment you've noticed in Italy after the first lockdown. Well, definitely the emissions have gone down. Uh, the city in Rome where I stay um, is, is notorious for having just poor air quality. And uh, it's something that I really noticed uh, reduced uh, over the last year. And it's a lot quieter. And of course, uh, with shops being closed and various levels of restrictions in in effect and curfews, uh, there's just so less light pollution. So overall, I'd say that the city is just cleaner. And of course, with fewer tourists, there's, fewer, there's just less garbage around as well. Right. How is Italy responding to the climate crisis? Well, um, it's part of the European Union, so there, it has made a commitment to uh, improving on this front. But I think what's more significant is the Vatican, uh, Vatican City State, because um, more recently it's committed to being net zero as, uh, in 2050, by 2050. And it has uh, banned the use of single-use plastics. It has installed, been installing um, uh, solar panels since 2008. And um, more recently has decided to uh, swap out all of their cars to being hybrid or electric and um, has more recently as well committed to uh, increasing its uh, recyclable, um, recycled, re recycled waste um, to, I think it's at 65% now and it's trying to get to 75%. So I think that all of those actions have shown that it's really committed to, um, you know, walking the talk. I love to see that. I love to see the church taking the lead on just being caring for our climate well. So when the yeah. economy opens up again completely, do you see Italy returning to business as usual or do you think they're going to learn some lesson, less, lessons, excuse me, on how to continue this change, this climate change that they're seeing? 
Yeah, I think people are just aching, dying to get back to normal. Uh, this is a very social culture. People, part of the whole charisma of, of Italy is being able to uh, go to restaurants and be together with family and to uh, enjoy these social activities. So uh, that's been a real hard uh, experience over the last year. That said, I think that uh, you've seen the adoption of a lot of uh, digital um digital tools uh, in, in ways that have been unexpected. And because it went through such a severe lockdown, people have really had to innovate on that front. I think the city has also taken a lot of opportunities to uh, employ a lot of green initiatives in this time that's been uh, kind of just available to them. And I've seen also a resurgence in um, you know, bike lanes and you know, uh, renovation of parks and that sort of thing. So I think that that's all really uh, you know, good signs on that front in terms of just uh, paying more attention to the environment and to those social spaces. I think a lot's gonna change coming out of this. I don't think anyone's gonna be the same afterwards, but um, one thing I'm really impressed with is just everyone has been extremely resilient. And I think that um, there's just a greater awareness overall about how this is all connected. Cause I mean, as the Pope has said, you know, climate change and the pandemic, they're not mutually exclusive, they're connected. And I think we can expect to see more of this kind of thing in the future. All right, Sheridan Sanders from Rome. Thank you again for joining us today. Always a pleasure, thank you. Like to watch more Context Beyond the Headlines? Catch up on any of our shows online. On YouTube, search Context Beyond the Headlines for the most up-to-date episodes and extended content. Listen on the go with Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Check out our reporters' and producers' stories at our website, context.show. Follow us on Instagram at Context Beyond the Headlines and Twitter at Context TV. There are so many ways to put more context into your life. When the world went into lockdown, images like the one you're seeing on your screen quickly spread around the world. It seemed as if the earth was getting some relief, possibly even replenishing in some part. Well, Marnie Blom has worked in Israel for years and she joins me now. We're hearing of more wild animals in the streets of Israel since the lockdown, um, just more as we talked about more replenishing of the earth. What are you noticing in Israel when it comes to climate change? Well, in Israel, there are two government agencies that publish data every single year, and uh, those agencies would be the Israel Meteorological Service as well as the Water, um, uh, the Water Authority. And so, what they've been saying in three areas: first of all, temperatures in Israel have been warming up, like in other parts of the world, but not um, consistently across Israel. For example, in the west of Israel, the mountainous regions, the coastal lowlands, the northern Negev, which is a desert, they are warming up faster than the eastern part of Israel, which is the Jordan Valley, as well as the north. And so they're seeing that. But what is of significance to Israel are these, what they're calling incidences of extreme temperature events. So heat, for example, heat waves. And they're seeing an increase in heat waves over the uh, past series of years. In terms of precipitation, they had been seeing a trend of lower levels of rainfall in Israel, but that, that trend is sort of a blown out of the water, so to speak, and that uh, in 2020, there was a lot of rainfall. There was a lot of flooding. In fact, I mean, there are images on Israeli TV of Israeli surfers surfing down the streets of some cities in Israel, wow. uh, surfing on the cascading rivers that were overflowing. Um, so definitely there's a break in that trend. And, and lastly, um, when we look at uh, sea level, 
Israel, like all other Mediterranean coastal nations, has seen a rise in sea level every year. There's a rise of about 10 millimeters. What can happen if uh, if there isn't uh, a focus? What are what are uh, environmentalists in Israel saying if they don't focus on the environment? Climate change isn't at the top of Israeli concern. And when you have 150,000 uh, missiles, mortars, rockets um, just north of your northern border in southern Lebanon pointing at you as a nation, I mean, climate change isn't exactly at the top of your concern. But what Israel is so world-renowned about is the fact that they um, are um, advocates of gr uh, green technology. So they develop technology that they don't only use in Israel, but they export to the world. And so you see Israelis are developing in the area of, of, of water. Um, they have the world's top um, sewage recycling programs as well as, well as desalination plants. Um, they are experts at converting CO2, which we know is at the heart of the greenhouse effect and, and greenhouse emissions. They, they can convert CO2 into um, an energy source um, and also by using microorganisms. And in fact, what's so interesting as well, they, they've even developed technology where they'll take cow manure and convert it into uh, rich fertilizer that they can put on the fields. And um, in that way, they can also uh, be a benefit. It's a benefit to the environment as well. So I think in terms of Israel, their strength is that they are innovators. You know, um, there's that saying um, that um, necessity is the mother of invention in Israel. I would say necessity is the mother of innovation. Yes, Israel always seems to be on the cutting edge of technology. Thank you so much, Marnie Blom, for joining us today. Arasha, it's a Portuguese word that means the rock. And that's where we started. We're an international Christian conservation organization. All right, well, we couldn't do a whole show on climate care and not get outside in the elements. We are here on a beautiful day in Bayfront Park in Hamilton, and we're about to speak to the CEO of Arasha. It is an amazing international Christian organization that focuses on scientific research, environmental education, and community-based projects. His name is Luke Wilson. Let's go visit him now. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today, Luke. Tell me a little bit about Arasha and uh, what makes it such a great organization for reminding us of how important it is to care for our climate. It's this beautiful expression of, of God's love for his creation. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we, see, we see people engaging this in a new way just because of what's happening around the world. Um, with different issues, whether it's climate change or biodiversity loss or, you know, farming and agriculture and the impacts that's having on the world, you know, people are awakening to the need to uh, love God's creation in a new way. You know, we uh, throughout the whole show have been talking to our correspondents in Israel and in Italy about how they are seeing things change within mm -hmm. their respective countries and areas when it comes to the environment. What are you hearing and seeing about maybe changes that are happening here close to home that Canadians need to be made aware of? I think we're seeing the the migration to cities. Yeah. And um, and I think there's there's a lot of value to that. 
Um, but one of the things that you start to ask yourself is, how do you care for the city well and, mm. and the, the ecology around the city? In Ontario, in recent uh, months, we've seen some major changes in the green belt and, mm -hmm. and conversation around policy with our green belt. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a number of issues between, you know, urban and rural. And how do you balance, uh, you know, population needs in a city and, and the need for uh, the beauty of, of the land and uh, what comes out of the land? I think that's a real uh, question for us in this, in this context where we live around one of the largest bodies of water in the world and in some ways we're not as connected to the, the global changes um, in water issues that, that are happening. And so I think, I think finding ways to connect with that narrative around our place and watersheds and the lake and the urban and city, you know, engagement. I think that's one of the places you can start to understand the, the changing ecological narrative. Mm -hmm. It is hard to place yourself in the climate change narrative. It feels big right. and broad, and especially in Southern Ontario, we don't always see the impacts uh, that the rest of the world is facing, um, whether it's, it's mass migration because of of different uh, water issues or food issues. Um, and so I think placing ourselves um, around water and the question of water um, is, is, a, is an access point yeah. to, to ecological questions and, and issues. You mm -hmm. know, as I started off, there are so many things that are occupying our minds right now, but so important to be able to keep our minds focused mm -hmm. on our environment. Because, you know, if we don't take care of our world, who is, right? Mm -hmm. And this is what we have to live with. But for some, that's hard. I think it's hard to reconcile faith and why, you know, why we should care mm -hmm. uh, about our environment and just everything else that's gathering and that's battling for our attention. Mm -hmm. So how would you connect those two when it comes to God and creation? There is so much in the Bible that helps us understand why it's, it's on mission. It's part of the gospel to participate in creation care. It's not supplementary or, yeah. or sort of this, this um, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. It's actually core to what it means to be a Christian. Um, so we take uh, Psalm 24 as, mm. as our inspiration. The earth is the Lord's. Mm. Uh, that simple phrase kind of shifts your understanding and, and helps you go, oh, this, this isn't about me. This is about God and his world. Mm. Um, and his story for his world. And so it takes some time for people to, to place themselves in that story, but it's one that Arasha is committed to, and, and we see people waking up to that, that reality. And our, our mission and our, our posture and our action comes out of that story, not one where we're responsible for making mm. things right. Um, like so many feel yeah. that burden and that weight. And just to take it a little further, you know, we're not saying that we're ignoring, um, you know, all the pain and all the hurt um, and all the woundedness across creation. Mm -hmm. That's there and that's real. Yeah. So it's not a blind optimism that we have, but I think it's a hope 
that, uh, that both makes room for the grief of, of what's going on in the world, mm. um, but also trusts and believes that, that God's still working in all creation. So good. Thank you so much, Luke, for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Maggie. Yeah. Hi, I'm Calvin Mazik, Director of Context. Each week our team tackles news headlines that affect us all. Our producers go beyond those headlines where we find God in action. But we could not produce this program without you, our viewers and our donors. If you'd like to find out how you can support the show, visit us at crossroads.ca forward slash context. We'll see you next week and every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. right here on Yes TV.